Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes Podcast, where we dive into the updates, interviews, and yes, processes that will help your organization thrive. My name is Rami Alijil, and my goal is to help HR managers and business owners create an environment where their people are their organization's competitive advantage. Today, we'll be uh, doing a Q&A session over a few different topics that have been submitted. One, FMLA calculations for someone who is full-time who's gone part-time. Another question on pet FMLA bereavement leave. So if a pet were to die, what do you, how do you handle that as a FMLA bereavement claim? And garnishments of lump sum payments. Oh, and don't forget, we're available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, and Google Play. Check us out, subscribe. You can also find us at peopleprocesses.com, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Let's dive right in. So, the first question. Six months, one of our full-time employees working 40 hours per week was granted intermittent leave under the Family and Medical Leave Act. He has taken three weeks or 120 hours of leave. Last month, he transferred to a part-time position, working 20 hours a week, and he continues to need FMLA leave. How should you calculate the intermittent leave? Should it be based on his former full-time hours or his current part-time hours? Ooh, that's a good one, and a complicated one. Under the FMLA regulations, if an employer has made a permanent or long-term change in the employee schedules for reasons other than the FMLA and prior to the notice of need of FMLA leave, the hours worked under the new schedule are to be used for making this calculation. In this situation, the employee has nine weeks of FMLA leave remaining in his FMLA year. He's used three, there are 12 weeks of FMLA, he's got nine left. Going forward, you should use his part-time schedule to calculate any intermittent FMLA leave. Thus, he would have 180 hours left of FMLA leave uh, for the year. Keep in mind that the U.S. Department of Labor requires FMLA leave to be calculated in work weeks, not in hours. So, for instance, if an employee is scheduled for 20 hours per week and takes intermittent leave for a total of 10 hours that week, he has used only half of a work week for FMLA purposes. Generally speaking, employers should look at the hours scheduled for the employer for that particular week and determine the FMLA usage accordingly. So FMLA is about work weeks, and he's used three. He's got nine left, but they're the nine part-time hour weeks at this point, okay? I hope that helps you understand, and that applies broadly to other roles as well uh, for other listeners if you're listening, if you're thinking about this. FMLA is 12 weeks of leave, not necessarily um, uh, 12 times 40 hours, uh, you know, 480 hours of leave. Okay, <clears throat> next question. Earlier this year, one of our employers wanted to take Family and Medical Leave Act leave because he was suffering from insomnia and emotional distress after pa the passing of his beloved pet. Is this allowed under the FMLA rules? Okay, well, there's what the rules say and there's, you know, maybe how you should treat this. If you have a bereavement policy that allows people to attend funerals, that kind of thing, of course you may want to allow it to be used, but is it an FMLA request? Insomnia caused by emotional distress over the passing of a pet is not considered a serious health condition under the FMLA, at least according to the U.S. District Court of Eastern Wisconsin in a decision handed down in late 2017. In the case, the employee requested a vacation day for his next scheduled shift because he was upset about having to put his dog of 13 years to sleep. The employer approved the request for leave. 
The next day, the employee called his supervisor again and allegedly explained that he had not slept since the loss of his dog and would not be able to work the next day. That day off was documented as an unexcused absence. Even though the employee did seek treatment for his condition and was diagnosed with, quote, situational insomnia, the absence remained unexcused. Over the next several months, the employee accumulated several other unexcused absences that resulted in his termination. That employee sued his employer, alleging interference of his FMLA rights. In granting summary judgment in favor of the employer, the district court rejected the employee's claim that his employer interfered with his rights under the FMLA. The court held that while inability to sleep caused by the passing of a pet could arguably constitute a serious health condition, the employee in this case failed to show that this condition qualified under the FMLA. So it's possible, but... Currently, it looks like that is not something that, that is done. That co- that case, if you want to look it up or have your attorney review it, is Buck versus Mercury M- Marine Corp. Uh, the uh, date was December 22nd, 2017, when that was handed down. So good case to review for that. But in general, my answer would be no. It's not, not required to be an FMLA leave. Okay, last question of the day. We have garnishments on garnishment orders on file for a few employees. Do we have to garnish their wages in the case of bonuses or other lump sum payments? Or is this just their regular hourly or salary rate of pay? Okay. Um, garnishment of lump sum payments. So there was actually a recent DOL uh, release. <clears throat> they let out three letters. The third letter, which I'll link on the website at peopleprocesses.com, if you want to go actually read the letter addresses the question of whether certain lump sum payments from employers to employees are considered earnings for the purpose of garnishment under Title III of the Consumer Credit Protection Act, CCPA. That's what that's what handles this stuff. The opinion letter states that in assessing whether certain lump sum payments are earnings and therefore subject to CCPA garnishment limitations, the central inquiry is whether the amounts are paid by the employer in exchange for personal services. When the lump sum payment is made in exchange for personal services, then then like payments received periodically, it will be subject to the CCPA's garnishments, okay? Uh, we also have fact sheet number 30, the federal wage garnishment law, uh, which kind of gives some broad outlines on how to handle garnishments if you want to look that up. Conversely, lump sum payments that are unrelated to personal services rendered are not earnings under the CCPA, according to the letter. So whether it's one lump sum or whether it's, you know, uh, quarterly bonus or any of those kind of things, or it's their regular pay, if it is in return for work they did, that's what personal service is, work they did, then, um, yeah, you got to garnish it. The WHD considers the following lump sum payments, as specifically defined in the text of the letter, as earnings under the CCPA. Commissions, discretionary and non-discretionary bonuses, productivity or performance bonuses, profit sharing, referral and sign-on bonuses, moving or relocation incentive payments, attendance, safety and cash service awards, retroactive merit increases, payment for working during a holiday, workers' compensation payments for wage replacement, termination pay, example, payment of last wages, any outstanding accrued benefits, severance pay, and back and front pay payments from insurance settlements. All of those are considered pay for uh, work they did, therefore subject to garnishment. The letter also stated that the following lump sum payments uh, are not earnings, and that was workers' compensation payments for medical reimbursements, wrongful termination insurance for compensatory or punitive damage, and buybacks of company shares. All of those are not uh, subject to garnishment. 
Hope that helped you out, and I hope you other listeners uh, found that interesting and helpful as well. If you have questions, send it to me on Facebook or Twitter, or check us out at peopleprocesses.com. We also have a subscribe button on there so you can get uh, uh, this newsletter emailed directly to you. Uh, it has specific subscriber-only content. In fact, we try to include the attachments and things that are on the website um, and additional uh, kind of research information and checklists over time that will help you develop your HR and people processes. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. My name is Rami Alijil. Go out there and get your work done.